Hello, this is Daniel Gregory. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. You are listening to episode 339 while I am recording episode 339. But anyway, regardless of whether you're listening or recording, I really do appreciate you tuning in and checking out the podcast. Hope you're having a great week behind the camera, behind the monitor, in the dark room, wherever you are. I hope you're having a great week. I wanted to announce one thing and remind you of a couple of things before we dive into this week's podcast topic. The first thing is I wanted to let everybody know that I will again be teaching at the Photoshop Virtual Summit, an amazing event hosted by the absolutely wonderful Dave Cross. I'm going to be teaching two classes, the first of which is on the magic of channels, and I'm going to be explaining what channels are and how they work first and foremost, which I think is really important because once you understand how channels work, you can really start to understand how you can get a much more sophisticated approach to your editing by understanding what's actually happening behind the scenes in your files through the use of channels. So we're going to be talking about channels and how that impacts masking, color correction, sharpening, noise reduction, and a couple of kind of creative ways you can approach using the 11 different channels that are available to you in Photoshop. I'm also going to be teaching an advanced printing class. We have 45 minute class and we're going to start actually at the viewing wall looking at prints and we're going to talk about sizing and approaching sizes to prints and cropping considerations and some of the things we would look for to identify potential areas of concern when we need to work on our photographs. Then we're going to return back into Photoshop, look at some ways to accelerate our process of actually editing our photographs and judging and critiquing and evaluating the photographs. And then we will also talk about custom camera profiles and building those, not camera profiles, printing profiles. We'll talk about those and a couple other topics specific to print drivers. So it'll be a great, great time for that. Hope you can join us. That's the week of October 4th through 8th. You can get the link to register for a free pass in the show notes here, or you can hit PSSummit.com and register there. But if you lose the use the link, I get credit for it. So I'd appreciate you doing that. The second is just a reminder, I do have my vision to print workshop up here on Whidbey Island. That's an in-person workshop in October. You have to be vaccinated. You have to show me your vaccination card. And uh, yeah, that's important. So you'll have to show me that card, but it'll be a small workshop, just a few of us. And we'll be uh, talking about how we get the ultimate way we kind of want to create our photographs and the way we want to imagine our photographs existing in the world, both behind the camera and through the print. Which sort of leads me to this week's topic. This week, I want to talk about how we increase the satisfaction rate with our photography, the the hit rate, the success rate, whatever you want to call it. But basically, the number of times we click, the more successful we are at it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I think that's one of the areas that all of us get to is we don't want to sift through a bunch of garbage when we get back to the camera. Uh, We don't want to sift through a bunch of garbage when we get back to the computer or on our contact sheets. We actually want to make sure that the things we're photographing work and they're on some level successful in our approach to them. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is a a simple thing of knowing what we're going to do with the images. I think that's one of the first places to start. If we're using the images as sketches, then there's a lot more freedom there to just shoot whatever, however, if we're learning Again, just like sketching, there's a different approach. But once we start to know that we want to do something with these photographs, we want to build a collection of these. We want to turn them into, you know, maybe a a short little narrative of five to six photographs, or maybe it's a gallery show with 15 to 20 photographs, or a solo show with 40, or a book with 100. Whatever we're doing, we start to get a sense of what is the purpose of the photographs? How do we imagine them being used? And a photograph can be used multiple different ways. It's not to say that we're, we're stuck in that single nomenclature of, oh, it has to be 
uh, single solo show. We want to make sure that we actually have some sense of what we're doing with the work because that is going to ultimately help us identify you know, how many photographs we need and what the content of those photographs are and how we approach those photographs. So having that kind of project in mind, and it, like I said, it can be fluid. We don't have to set in stone that I'm going to do a book and then decide later, well, I'm just going to use five or six of these for putting on my wall at my house just because I really uh, seasonally want to change my photographs. We can change that. But again, the context of thinking about what we're going to do with these images helps us as we move through the next kind of stages of this process. I think the next stage is that the idea of what you're photographing really matters. And I don't mean the thing you're photographing, that matters as well, but the idea of what you're photographing, how you're relating to that subject matter and that subject. Because if you know what you're trying to do, if you know what you're trying to say with the photograph, it's going to be easier for you to create a photograph that is much more meaningful to you and what you would consider a more successful photograph by having the context to define what that experience is going to be. So if you're photographing something and your experience, again, is loneliness or it's joy or it's anger or it's confusion, you're going to fundamentally shift how you think about all of those elements behind the camera in your approach to that subject matter and that subject placement, framing, lens choice, depth of field, shutter speed are all going to be influenced by having that idea of what are you trying to communicate about this thing that you're photographing. At the same time, we also want to make sure that because we have an idea of what we want to do with the work, that we're photographing the things that actually matter about the work. So if you get to a place and what you're really interested in photographing is the people of a particular town and you find yourself having photographed for six or seven hours and you don't have any photographs with people, you either A, have defined the wrong project or B, aren't photographing the right thing, don't have the discipline to stay focused on the thing that matters to you or C, something else. There's some itch you've got to scratch that you haven't thought about. But either way, we have to have an understanding of of what is that? Because if we want to make sure that our photographs are meeting our expectations, we have to define those expectations. Photographs that are a joyous discovery are one thing, but we don't want to rely on our entire experience behind the camera of hoping that something magical happens when we look at a contact sheet or look at images on a computer. We want to make sure that we are, again, increasing the probability of that happening by having an awareness of what we're doing. That Awareness, I think, also extends beyond just having a, a clarity of the purpose of the project and an idea of what we want. The awareness of when we're photographing, again, like I said, of when we're on task and when we're off task. So if we are trying to communicate one thing and we're in fact photographing another, we need to be able to recognize that that's happening in the moment. A lot of times when we're photographing, we may not have the opportunity to return to photograph that person, place, or object again, and we certainly won't necessarily get the same experience again. So to have the awareness of, wait a minute, I'm, I'm off track from what I originally thought, and that's okay because this is a more interesting direction, or, oh, I'm off track and I actually have sidetracked myself, I'm actually going down an unnecessary rabbit hole that's not generating the work that I want, I need to correct that. I need to reapply myself back to what I originally thought. Part of that, I think, is having that written down. It's one of the reasons why I, when I work with people, I want them to write things down. I want them to set sort of a in per, in written intention of, of what's going to actually happen. kind of helps just keep us focused in that way. I think the other piece that's really important is how you organize your images. And 
It doesn't matter what you use to organize your images, but one of the things that I think is important is that we don't organize by a single pivot point. And what I mean by that is don't just organize by date or organize by location or by a person's name or by an event. We need to have multiple ways of finding photographs, multiple ways of accessing photographs. And so this goes back to the notion of keywording as a concept. Now, I'm not saying you have to keyword a lot, but a keyword is a single word, but keywording gives you multiple words. So you could keyword a photograph where you had subject, place, color, emotion, feeling, context, projects, all these different elements. Now that might be in collections. Maybe you use collections for that. Maybe you write that down in an Excel spreadsheet. Maybe you collect that on post-it notes that hang on the wall. It doesn't matter how you organize those as long as what you're including in that organization is the concepts and ideas behind the photographs as well as what's in the frame. So it's one thing to say, well, I want photographs about my polar bears, or I want photographs about a social justice issue that I'm really concerned with, and there was a march downtown. I want to be able to find the images from that march. But it's another thing to say, well, I want images from that march that convey the anger people felt at the march, or the community and togetherness they felt at the march, or the interesting signage and t-shirts that were at the march. Those are all different things. So if you have 100,000 photographs of social justice protest march, and then you want to put together a collection of the most interesting signs, you're going to have to scroll through 100,000 images, or you're going to have to identify signs. And then if you think about the emotion of the signs, were there signs that were funny or were there signs that were angry? Whatever those are, those keywords, those groupings of photographs give us a better access point, a better entry point into understanding what we're creating and also allow us to start to come back to what are we doing with images and grouping those together? How are we understanding the awareness of what happened behind the camera? What were you responding to it the day? If you're a landscape photographer, you know, think about the idea of how people interact with the environment. Are they doing it well? Are they doing damage to the environment? Is there a lot of people around? Is it solitude? Is it meditative in nature? Is it a single spot? Is it grand in grandeur of view? Is it a small little intimate detail? And what does that little detail mean? All of those little emotions and feelings I think are important to contextualize as well. So having that, that idea of organizing by something more than just a single point is going to give you multiple ways of understanding your photographs. And in a lot of ways, is going to increase your ability to understand the success rate of your photography because you're going to see how well you're responding to what you thought was your purpose and intention when you went out, the awareness you had behind the camera, and what did you bring back? And you're not operating on a single level. You're not a single individual when you go out. You are multiple people and have multiple interests every time you pick up that camera. So what are you responding to in that process? So I think that's really important. I think the other reason that conceptual grouping is important is that it lets us identify the outliers in our photography. And I don't mean the outliers in the sense of the things that are bad outliers. They're just, you know, incorrect camera operator error. But the things that are interesting in our photography that are the seeds of the next project, the seeds of maybe a new direction to go with a project, the seeds of a new entry point of awareness into a current project we're working on or something we're doing with our images. So identifying those outliers and spending the time to understand what is in that outlier. What is it about that outlier that still makes it interesting and not just a throwaway image, but something to hold on to? And the final thing is recognizing the importance of why we photograph is to communicate with others. 
And of all the things we do, probably the most important thing we could do to increase the satisfaction of our images is to share our images with others in a meaningful way. And I don't mean just throw up a thousand images into social media and hope for a few likes here or there, but I mean to have an engaging relationship with the photographs and present the opportunity for others to have that engaging relationship. So it might be through social media, but it might through again be through a, a trade journal, a book, a magazine, uh, images on the wall. It might be through gifting prints. It might be through a print exchange or having a conversation with another photographer where you each bring in an image that you're struggling with and you want to talk about not the technical side, but the conceptual side of the work maybe. But finding a way to have a meaningful conversation with the work, a meaningful engagement with the work. And the thing that's a challenge for this is for some of you who've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you're like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that, but I can't find anybody to do that. And I'm going to remind everybody that finding and having good conversations is always going to be a lifelong journey or lifelong adventure into finding the people who are wanting to have those conversations. Because a lot of us don't have the language to communicate that way. We don't have the verbal skills to describe the visual language and medium of photography. And we're insecure about that. So we don't communicate in a great, meaningful way. And at the same time, there's an opportunity for us to come back and touch on helping people get better at their communication, get better at their sharing of those photographs by creating the environment and setting up the context to make that happen. So I hope you have an opportunity to really think about if any of these ideas or techniques might help you increase your satisfaction rate, keeper rate significant rate with your photography. I know for me, holding that idea of an awareness of the images, and once I decide what I'm going to do with images, it really does open up an opportunity to go make some more amazing work, along with holding that awareness and the language and communication around what I'm doing. So again, have a wonderful week. Don't forget to check out the Photoshop Summit, a week of free education, 40 classes, 20 different instructors, lots of great educational opportunities there. And thanks again for tuning into the podcast. It really does mean the world to me that you'd spend a few minutes every week listening to the podcast and spending some time with me. So thanks for doing that. I hope you have a great week and I will see you next time.